0: This is Health First Talks, where we share information to help the healthcare community meet the daily challenges of medical emergency readiness, patient safety, and compliance. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Health First Infection Prevention and Control Podcast. We're excited to be talking about a very timely topic today, testing on COVID-19, which tests and why. Um, A lot of tests out there. We're going to be going through some key areas in this podcast, the two diagnostic tests, uh, some of the test accuracy and pitfalls, and then also we'll conclude with COVID-19 precautions. Um, So we'll be guided will be uh, guided by our two leading experts from their respective fields, both in the med- medical and dental fields, Dr. Scott Cohen and Dr. Fiona Collins. So without further ado, I'll pass over the mic to Dr. Scott Cohen.
1: Thank you, Grace. Uh, so we're gonna talk tonight briefly about testing and um, a couple of things we really wanted to uh, help frame tonight. And that is, you know, what are the different types of tests out there? And also, you know, what are their, what's their usefulness? Because, you know, in general, I think people feel like if a test is positive, it means the patient has disease. And if the test is negative, it means the patient definitely does not have disease. And I think, uh, especially when uh, Fiona starts talking more about testing accuracy, uh, or sensitivity, specificity, we'll see that, It's not 100%, and just because a test is negative does not mean the patient does not have disease, and just because it's positive doesn't mean they do. So we're going to start out talking about the diagnostic test specifically, and we'll make a differentiation here between diagnostic tests and others. The diagnostic test we're talking about is to diagnose disease versus like the antibody tests, uh, which are to diagnose uh, disease uh, in the past. So the two broad types of diagnostic tests we have and realize there's probably going to be hundreds of different brands out there, but the two broad types we're going to talk about tonight are antigen testing. And then we're going to talk about uh, PCR testing. And I think everyone's probably heard these but may not 100% be aware of what the utility is or more importantly, where some of these tests are not helpful and could be potentially misleading. Uh, and I think Grace and I will be getting, or Fiona and I will be getting into that a little bit later. So antigen testing is very simply, uh, and the best, the best example I can give is strep tests, or even pregnancy tests. Um, strep tests, when you put a fluid containing, like saliva or or other bodily fluid, onto a card, um, there's a series of chemical reactions that test to see if a specific antigen is there. Usually a protein. And that really just determines is the antigen there, is a piece of what you're looking for there. If it's there, the test considers itself positive. If it's not there, the test considers itself negative. There's upsides and downsides to that. Um, the upsides are of course, if the antigen is there and you actually have disease, it's great. Sometimes though, um, you know, I'm a family doc and I treat strep, the antigen can stay in someone's throat for, for, um, uh, for strep disease for weeks. So I could test them three weeks after they were positive and treated and they could still be uh, positive. So there's upsides and downsides, the same is true for COVID, it works very similarly, just different antigens, different uh, proteins that we're testing for. So PCR testing is very different. PCR testing uses a piece of DNA, RNA and the system actually finds it, amplifies it and measures it to determine positivity. There's two potential positives for that. One is it can actually determine usually much lower levels of a virus in someone's secretions than if you're using antigen testing. The other positive about it is it's a bit more specific, uh, meaning you have to have what you're looking for on the PCR, which is RNA, in order for it to be positive. And what happens is typically with these PCR tests, uh, the test actually amplifies what's in the sample such that you can actually read it. And I think you know, going uh, into our next section here, um, Fiona gonna talk about how does this affect accuracy um, and you know, what are the pitfalls in terms of sensitivity and specificity? So I'll turn it over to you, Fiona.
2: Thanks, Scott. So as we look at sensitivity and specificity, um, obviously what we're looking for is a high level of sensitivity and a high level of specificity. That means in the case of sensitivity, you're getting very few, if any, false negatives. And the case of specificity, you're getting very few, if any, false positives. So really, as a generalization, you you may be asking yourself or or have to ask yourself, which is worse? So let's diverge for a little moment and, and look at the case of a cancer patient. You could have somebody who has a very slowly progressing cancer, uh, and let's add on that they're pretty old, just uh, just to make it even better. Or you could have a cancer that's very aggressive in a young patient. Mm-hmm. So what's going to be worse there? Well, a false positive may cause you to have a biopsy that you didn't need, which is obviously not a, a good thing. Um, but if you're looking at the older person with a slowly progressing cancer, a false negative in that situation isn't going to be as detrimental as a, false ne- as a false negative in an older patient with a slow-moving cancer. Basically, something else may well catch the older person before it ever becomes a problem. Whereas the younger person with an aggressive one, you obviously want if it, if it's there, you want to know so that you can treat it as quickly as possible uh, with a better chance of less uh, severe morbidity and avoiding mortality or death. Now let's look at COVID-19, which is worse there. Well, if you have a false positive and it's COVID-19, really, if you think about it, the worst that can happen is you end up in isolation. You have a repeat test and you find out actually you didn't have it after all. Not pleasant, but it's only isolation. If on the other hand, you have a false negative, you think you don't have it, you may meet people unless there are really strict uh, regulations in place in your location at that time. And so you're basically, spreading it, thinking you do not have COVID-19. That's obviously a much more severe uh, problem. So if you had to, hopefully you have high sensitivity and specificity, but with respect to COVID-19, a lower specificity isn't as bad as a lower sensitivity. So I would rather have a false positive than false negative basically. Um, When we start to look at that in the context of the testing that Scott's been been describing, the molecular PCR testing uh, has very high sensitivity, typically very high specificity as well. As we start to look at the point of care ones, the antigen tests, those uh, generally have high specificity. So that would mean a low level of false positives. But they can have false negatives that could be up to 15 to 20 percent, depending on the test that's being used. Uh, so that's one of the things to look for if you're considering using a point-of-care antigen test. Is don't just take for granted that they're saying it's high accuracy. You really want to know about the specificity and sensitivity uh, to make sense of which one's going to be the most useful in in your given situation. Hmm.
1: That's great. Uh, Fiona, how about maybe we go through a few scenarios and we can talk through, you know, what would be the most appropriate test, you know, when it would be used and, you know, how you can interpret the results. Like, you know, for example, you know, I'm the medical director of a fire department. and I recently had some uh, firefighters who were exposed to someone, um, incidentally, inside the building, uh, you know, ostensibly was well, turned out was not. Um, what do you think about post-exposure testing? You know, what, What tests would you think we should consider doing, if any, and when?
2: If if it were me and I suspected that a patient were positive or was showing symptoms, I would choose to do a PCR test. It's got a higher sensitivity and specificity. Um, I'll I'll get a more reliable result. Uh, It does take some time in comparison to many of the antigen tests, Um, but my sense of it would be ask the patient to quarantine themselves, isolate themselves, and uh, wait the two, you, now it's typically two to three days. Um, in, initially, it was about a week, and there was a backlog. Uh, you know, so sit out those two to three days and get an accurate result.
1: Mm-hmm. Okay. You know, I think, you know, and, and when we think about, so a patient who's well and was exposed to someone who ostensibly had COVID, you know, I, I usually would recommend the PCR test but I would tell them typically, you know, because they were just exposed to someone yesterday, say for example, I would recommend they don't be tested for several days. Generally day five is probably the most useful. And I would recommend at that point on day five, they get tested by PCR testing um, because of its sensitivity at lower levels of of presentation of the virus. Um, And I I think that's been borne out lately, but the other option, and, and this is one reason I wanted to bring this up here, the other option is just to not test people at all. If they were exposed, just to quarantine, you know, for the now 10 days that the CDC is recommending and just move on because we can't test everyone exposed, especially with the number of uh, positives that we have. But I guess then moving on, you know, one of my interests is mass screening. So my daughter's in yeah. college. Um, what are your thoughts on that in terms of which test and why? I think
2: the general recommendation is if you're doing mass screenings, you could, you if you're screening on a regular basis, you could do the antigen test and repeat it as as uh, over time, repeat it several times, um, and use it as really more of a monitoring system than anything else. Um, mm-hmm. Now, if you're testing um, the sewers, the wastewater in the sewers, that's a different matter. Um, since your daughter's at college, maybe you would like to address that one.
1: Sure. Uh, you know, in my mind, mass screening is best done by the cheapest and fastest method out there. And that, in my mind, is antigen testing. And also, You know, the, the fastest method in 15 to 20 minutes done in a clia waved way, meaning you don't need lab techs to do it. Matter of fact, uh, we just found out that there's a home version of, you know, one yeah. of the tests that's coming out over the next couple of days. But that is the antigen testing. It's very cheap. It's It's, you know, incredibly quick. Um, It's easy technically, so it's a CLIA wave test. It has, as Fiona said, it's high specificity. Yes, it's low sensitivity, meaning it does have a high false negative rate up to 15, even 20%. But the reality is in big populations like college students, they do it on a weekly or biweekly basis. So you're, in some sense, overcoming some of that low sensitivity by just repeatedly doing it. Um, and the goal is to just pick up as many people as possible who are positive, but not necessarily everyone. Um, it's mass screening, um, so you can't have the perfect test, but it's a good test for that. So I think the last one, you, you hinted on it already, Fiona, and that is if you have someone who's clearly symptomatic or they're undergoing some sort of procedure that will require significant aerosolization, aerosolization like say, for example, going undergoing a bronchoscopy or something like that, and you are doing pre-procedural testing, I think we both agree that would most likely be a PCR test, right?
2: Yeah, where possible that I would agree with that. The well, think- other interesting thing is you were you were talking about people that may be too soon, uh, they, they may show up negative and then show up positive later. And then mm-hmm. you mentioned the home test, and uh, the one that just came out, as we just discovered, is uh, supervised and it's a nasal swab. Now, I'm glad to hear it was a nasal swab and not a nasopharyngeal because I can't imagine how anybody other than an expert could do that properly. And of course, improperly taking sample is another reason for for negative tests. Um, So it is supervised, which is good news. Uh, The other thing they're looking at, of course, is salivary testing, which removes anything particularly skillful at all. All you need to be able to do is spit into the tube. Um, so that that
1: would be a good idea. <laughs> Absolutely, and as you mentioned, the effluent testing, which is kind of a neat way of doing testing, where um, there were there's still some, there are some organizations that are testing wastewater effluent from dormitory-style housing. Um, and if it's negative, you know, you can safely assume that almost everyone is negative in there. If it's positive, that's when you test everybody in that building to figure out who's contributing to the positive neat way of doing it, similar to batch testing that we see in some areas of medicine as well that uh, we've been looking at. Um, But yeah, that's kind of neat. So I guess, you know, uh, Fiona, you wanted to talk about now, how do we actually prevent some cases? So I'll turn it to you for that.
2: Right. So obviously, um, in the general public scenario, if you are suspected or have been um, diagnosed with COVID-19, then you're obviously going to be uh, hopefully, self-isolating, but certainly quarantining within your household. Uh, so that takes care of that. The, the, obviously, the clinical situation is very different. So, what what do you do there? Well, obviously, there's triaging, there's screening, and all of the the other good stuff that is now part of COVID nineteen guidance. Uh, I think going back to the testing, one of the interesting things is if you do do a PCR test, it's going to take two to three days to get the result. Mm-hmm. So, in a dental setting uh, where it could be part of a treatment plan, you could do a PCR test, you get the result two to three days later, and the patient's been exposed now. And at that point, the patient may have acquired SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. They're probably asymptomatic still, it's unlikely they've got any symptoms. So what do you do? Do you do a point-of-care test? So I think in some settings, there is some value to doing a point-of-care test. Provided you're aware that it could be a false negative, and it, it's you are screening, you are testing, but you cannot guarantee that that person does not have COVID-19. So you should should still be taking precautions. Obviously, if it comes back positive, that's a different situation, and unless it's an emergency situation, uh, you are going to uh, not treat them that day. Absolutely. I wondered if, from your perspective and in your setting, if there's anything you would like to add to that, that would be um, perhaps a a different consideration.
1: No, I I think, you know, we use in in the medical setting, we use really the same um, uh, practical precautions. You know, we use a universal precautions, uh, both for, you know, prevention of HIV and other diseases, universal COVID precautions. To turn any um, exposure into a low risk exposure, that means goggles and masks, and then any known COVID positive patient clearly should be, you know, full level four, such that you know you are, you know, protecting yourself as, as well as possible. Um, I think people are doing that for the most part. I've been quite encouraged by that, and um, I'm glad that if you look at the literature on medical folks, that our conversion rates are lower than the general population in yes. general. Uh, which I think is kind of neat and a call to uh, really thank our, our um, co-workers for doing a great job. So,
2: yeah, and I, I believe that applies to both medicine and dentistry. Um, there's surveys that have been done and studies in dentistry now, and they're also showing that people have adhered to it and they do have low rates. It's, it's not it's not higher. Um, so it's really, really good news that everyone is following the, the extra precautions with COVID-19 uh, guidance I think the, the other interesting thing is, and uh, we'll be talking about vaccination in another podcast, but I think the other thing is it's unclear at the moment whether a vaccinated person can transmit the virus and spread disease, even although they are highly unlikely to acquire the disease themselves. So that's another reason not to sit in our laurels, if you like, and still to take all of the precautions um, as well until there's herd immunity, wearing a mask in public.
1: So. Absolutely. All right. Well, that, that was an excellent discussion. I hope we uh, I hope we gave you all some you know practical, useful information on some of the positives (no pun intended) and pitfalls of some of our of some of the tests that are out there. Clearly, there'll be more to come. And realize, you know, as this was recorded, um, you know, in mid December, uh, the likelihood of change over the next even day or two is high. So, you know, please look for our vaccine podcast, which is coming up. Um, uh, very shortly actually uh likely will be out at the same time as this one and uh we really thank you for joining us tonight